This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The karma you created throughout the galaxies followed you onto the earth and was repeated and revisited during your many lives. Valeria Tellis interviews Margaret Donner, the author of Merlin's Handbook for Seekers and Star Seeds, a guide to awakening your divine potential. Margaret Donner, LMT, was certified by Dr. Roger Wolger, PhD, as a past life regression therapist in 1996. Since that time, she has also been offering spiritual life coaching and angelic channeling. Her work combines hands-on healing, past life regression, spiritual coaching, and angelic messages, as well as assisting those who feel they are struggling with the challenges of psychic attack. It is Margaret's belief that every life challenge can be utilized as a ladder to release fear and ego attachment, increase wisdom and knowledge, and raise our vibrational frequency through unconditional love. Mastery is not running from the darkness, but staring it straight in the eye and remembering that light is more powerful than dark. Spiritual masters go through the dark night of the soul to emerge with less fear and more wisdom. Do not be afraid of the shadow. Utilize it as your teacher and you will become its master, not its slave. Meet Margaret at margaretdunner.com. Here is the interview with Margaret Dunner. In your own words, who is Margaret Donner? Oh, that's an interesting question, especially since we're going to be talking about reincarnation. <laughs> Right. Those kinds of ideas, right? Yeah. Um, but I will say that um, I am. I came upon the idea of past lives through personal experience, having met somebody many, many years ago um, when I was in my late twenties, who started to spark images of a past life we had had together, and that led me on this journey to uh, wanting to understand more about the soul and about reincarnation. And I met back in the 90s, brilliant man by the name of Roger Wolger, who's since passed on, but he wrote Other Lives, Other Selves. And he had a school to train therapists in past life regression. It was very intensive, two years of extremely intensive work. And so I did that uh, about 25 years ago, and I've been doing past life regression ever since then. And so when I speak about issues and speak about, you know, even in, I do some angelic 
counseling work. And I always bring in the idea of the soul being immortal and having incarnated throughout time space in different dimensions, even uh, from different star systems. Some of us who identify as star seeds uh, have memories that even are off earth plane um, and, and not even all the time, even human. And, and so I would say I'm a seeker and uh, my journey has been um, one that has been through the experiences I've personally had have led me to ask questions that have brought me into the, doing this healing work. I do have a question for you about um, I'm a seeker. What are you seeking? Well, I think myself, um, I believe that the path to God is through the self and that we have those of us who have a soul have within us a piece and a part or a particle of, of, of the God force and the source. And I think as we begin to reconnect through the self and reconnect to our many identities or our lives, we start to put the puzzle pieces back and we feel like we've come home. And I think people have said to me, starseeds particularly keep saying to me, I want to go home. I want to go home over the last 25 years. And I've come to realize that when we say that and when we seek, we're actually seeking ourselves. And in seeking ourselves, we therefore seek God. So mm. I think seeking is is the integration of the soul and the reunification of the soul with with the God self. You just said something interesting. You said some of us who have soul or who have a soul, does it mean that some of us don't have a soul? Well, I, th I don't think that every being throughout the universe or the multiverse has the same soul matrix, meaning that I think that there is something unique about the human soul and that it is very special and profound. For example, I don't believe that robots have the same soul matrix that a human does. Even if a robot becomes self-aware, I don't believe in their self-awareness their soul is the same as human. And other species throughout the multiverse, I'm just going to say, or universe, such as a reptilian template or matrix, I don't believe that soul matrix is identical to a human soul matrix. And so I believe there is something extremely special. And I think it's the range of emotion and awareness that is given to the human that perhaps is not the same. And I believe that animals have the most special mm. and wonderful mm. souls, yeah. but they don't have an ego mm. in the same way that a human does. Right. They are not self-aware, and this is why they are in many ways mm -hmm. uh, so special. Yeah. Our ego is our gift, but it's also our curse. Um, but the ego allows for some grand 
gestures and expressions of the soul, mm. such as Mozart might give or Beethoven might give. And so there's to me anyway, and this is my opinion, but there is to me something worth preserving and loving about the human soul matrix. I love you and I love your work. <laughs> I love everything you say. Thank you. Everything about it. Wow. So what is the soul, Margaret? I think it's what I said earlier. I think it it's a spark of creative energy or creative force. And I think that this is my opinion. When I write about the seeker school, which I believe is a multidimensional, other dimensional school, I don't believe it's earth human, um, because I think you have to be beyond the lower astral plane in order to be evolved enough to be a member of the seeker school of life creation. But I do believe that there are beings who have evolved, um, you might call them transcendental souls, who have transcended the lower astral, the third and fourth dimension, and vibrate in much higher consciousness frequencies that have begun to understand how to create life. And we can see in our own scientists with the amount of DNA experimentation, life creation, but not from nothing. They are cloning, as we know, at least from what we know, not from nothing. They are cloning, making sheep, for example, and so forth. So it isn't too hard to imagine that a species highly evolved, way perhaps have, having been in existence for hundreds of thousands more years than Earth humans that we know of, would have already begun to understand how to take pure energy, source energy, and combine it or make it and create life from it. So it is a very controversial point of view that I put across the idea that God is pure source of creative energy, but that life, in other words, that a daisy doesn't come just from that energy, but is brought into existence through those who understand and serve, in a way, as God's messengers, who can make these life, beautiful life forms. And I believe that the earth is so um, valued because it is the living library of all these creations and on the earth is held the DNA, which is why it's the living library, the DNA of all forms of life that exist in, in the multiverse somehow in some form or another exists here. And so that is why I think Earth is given as much attention. And when they talk about the Garden of Eden, I believe it's a metaphor for that living library of creation. And that is why I also believe that a lot of beings, both good and bad, um, seek what is on the earth, either to dominate and misuse for their own ego gratification and power, or to herald and love and preserve and protect because they consider that a divine covenant. So I do think Earth is, is an incredibly special place. There's something about nature that really 
speaks to that truth, that there's something special about it. It's magical to me. And it's not separate from us like we like to believe as humans. We somehow think of it as separate or that we can dominate it. But we resonate. We are made from the same stuff as what we call nature. We are. And I don't think we, we exist separately from it. That's what we have to we have to learn. We have to grow up, right, so that we begin to understand that we exist only if nature exists. We exist mm-hmm. as part. Yeah. We must really honor that. So I'm wondering if there is uh, such a thing as knowing, moving from belief to knowing. I do. I, I, I appreciate that question. I thank you for that. Um, I say I believe because I also know that I am not all wise, right? I, I know that I'm in a human body and I'm trying to collect the pieces of my multidimensional wisdom within this human body. But I, I don't go so far as to state that I know because I do not want people to think that I am being so arrogant as to think I know everything. <laughs> I want, want that to be very clear that I also understand that I do believe in essential truth and I do believe in knowing where your whole body tingles. You know that we call those truth tingles when your yeah. top of your head vibrates and you just know that you're standing in your truth and you feel so empowered. And I do believe in that and I think that's a real phenomenon. But I also know that people have very sacred beliefs that are in diametrically opposed to mine. And in order to be respectful and also to be respectful of myself so that I don't become some kind of arrogant know-it-all, I feel more comfortable saying I believe um, because I think it gives me also the space to grow and change in what I do know. Yeah, that is such an interesting perspective. When you speak the way you do, I'm like wishing or hoping, um, whatever the word is, that you would say, I know, because it resonates true to me. So I'm like, oh, it would be amazing to have this confirmation from another human being. Yeah, but I I have to say something really important. I don't want you ever to look outward Mm, for truth. Right. If it resonates within you, Mm. then it is truth for you. And you should never need me to to give you confirmation. Mm. You should trust yourself enough that what if, if I speak something that's resonating as truth to you, then to know that we are soul sisters, that our souls vibrate within that same truth. And that's all. And that we, we don't need... It doesn't matter what anyone else states, but we also leave ourselves open for other truths to enter. And we try to be humble, but also sure. And that's a real gift. But I I think we've, and I, I'm sorry to keep going on, but let me just say one more thing, because I do think it's important. I believe that one of the, one of the um, troubles we face as a peoples, as a a, a earth humans, is this idea of the false prophet. It is the idea that 
because we have not been taught to integrate and to be self-aware and to trust that, oh, I'm getting that truth tingle. I'm feeling the truth in that. So it's truth for me at this moment. We we look outward and we have been so deceived by so many false prophets. And it's important. And then our hearts are broken. And then it, it's supposed to be a teaching. When our hearts break because we, we put somebody above us in a false prophet position, it means that we're supposed to be lurking inward and that we gave away a part of ourselves or part of our power to someone we shouldn't have. And we we don't get upset. We just say, well, there's a lesson. There's a good lesson for me to learn. I'm not going to be doing that. I'm going to learn how to look within and self-actualize. And I, you know, I resonate with this or I don't resonate with it, but I don't need to put anyone else on a pedestal. So I need to say that. (laughs) Yeah, and I appreciate Margaret because it has been the case. Yeah, we have seen that happen over and over again, right? With the BUs and um, all these people believing other people, healers and gurus, and then Mm -hmm. getting hurt, right? Yeah. But I guess um, what a, it, it's, it's the, the resonance. I think everything you say, even how you say it, it, it just resonates true or resonates with the truth in me that I very much recognize. And we're probably both from the same planet. <laughs> mm, yeah. You're my little Pleiadian sister or something, oh right? Oh my God, it's funny that you say that. Okay, let's not go into it. <laughs> But that's that idea that our, but someone else, like some people will hear me speak and, and they actually don't know what I'm saying. They don't understand it or they'll read my book. Mm -hmm. And I've had somebody come to me for a session and I said, okay, you read this book of mine. And if you still want a session with me after reading my book, I'm happy to do it. And they, they read my book and they started to read my book and they came back and they said, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. And so so it's important to understand that what I say resonates for me and it resonates at this moment for you, but it's not going to resonate for everybody. So, (laughs) you know, there is a soul wavelength between us if it resonates. And that is a beautiful thing and to be honored, truly. Spirituality, we use that word a lot. And um, some of us even say, you know, I am spiritual as if. Nothing else was spiritual. (laughs) To be spiritual, you know, we got to act and talk in a certain way. So what is spirituality to you? Um, I love the way you asked that question because, you know, indicated this idea that people are still caught in that old paradigm that somehow, you know, I'm only spiritual if I wear white and, you know, walk around saying a certain thing. And yet how many of these people who put on the robes and the false trappings have proven to be the worst criminals even. And and so one of the things that I think is important is what you talked about nature and that spirituality is, you know, in all of nature and it's in our soul and, and it's a feeling of connectedness. It's a feeling of belonging and love and kindness But spirituality is also anger, fear, (laughs) you know, negative, what we deem negative emotions. 
And I, I come, I was trained by a Jungian, Roger Wolger, and I believe that we need to un- em- embrace and understand and love our shadow if we are to be whole. And that doesn't mean we have permission to constantly act it out. (laughs) It just means that we recognize it as a part of those beautiful human emotions. That thing that makes us so special is also the fact that we have passion, that we can be angry, that we can feel that deeply. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love the way you talk about the shadow the third chapter in your book, I think I have it here. You said, yeah, basically the same thing you said now, embracing the shadow now, uh, which has to do with the fragmentation of the soul. Well, one of the things that I talk about in a couple of my books is this idea that it's, well, the Tao, right? The Tao. And that is the yin-yang symbol. And in the yin-yang symbol, the dark spot, is in the light mm-hmm. and the light spot is in the dark right. and the idea of wholeness. And I like to think of that as energy of creation and energy of destruction in harmony and balance in the Tao and that both are needed um, in order for creation to remain in balance or homeostasis. And what happens um, is that when people refuse to see the other side, and it doesn't matter if you are, if you are quote unquote living in darkness and and evil, and you refuse to see the love and the light, you're out of balance. But it's also true if you're trying to only live in love and light, and you aren't also seeing the darkness, that you are out of balance. And that's really a Taoist thought. And Buddha was, as we know through the the story of Buddha was attacked by the demon Mara. Um, And it was when he turned to Mara and he said, I see you, that at that moment he achieved enlightenment. And I think that's just another way of expressing the Tao or another way of expressing a Jungian concept to make it a little more modern, which is this idea that in only embracing all sides of the Tao or of God or of the self can we then become enlightened and whole. And so that's why I try to really be true to that, because I do think that um, I think that these what I have deemed these uh, Hansel and Gretel candy houses that that are just sugary, 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 and they often lure in the little innocent children. But when they get inside, they tend to get in trouble. And I think truth is told on both sides of the Tao and that truth tellers will never try to just make everything all one thing or the other. They'll never try to make it all dark or all light. They'll say, listen, did you just have a bad experience? Let's find the gift, the lesson and the blessing in, in the tragedy. And if you're, if you're having something like winning the lottery, they'll say, wait a minute, you know that darkness sometimes comes mm-hmm. through that much wealth. Right. So you see that there is nothing that that's the Tao. So you can have a great thing like the lottery bring you to darkness and you can have a great tragedy bring you to light. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of wisdom is so important if we're to be at peace and, and whole. So that's why I try to always say that in my books. In your book, you say, you cannot love in others what you do not love in yourself. 
And that is, uh, you speak of self-love, unconditional self-love. I actually use those words together, unconditional self-love. And you also say, first know thyself, then love thyself. So we cannot actually know, love ourselves if we don't know who we are. So my question is, Margaret, what is your idea and understanding of love? Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so I could, there's a lot of ways I can speak about that. I'm going to try and maybe make it um, um, uh, more uh, solid, more real, more third dimensional in, yeah. in talking about it. Um, everybody has a perpetrator in them. And when you do past life therapy, you find not only your victim lives where you've been a victim of, of something or someone, you also find lives where you've been a perpetrator. And those lives, interestingly enough, tend to be in our younger soul ages, meaning when we first do our, our first rounds of incarnations um, and we're like baby souls or young souls, we often uh, act like toddlers in, in our current life meaning that we don't have wisdom and the ego is just very strongly developing. Uh, we do our greatest harm with these early soul age lives. We, we are, you know, give me, we grab the toy from the other child in the, the nursery, you know, but, but of yeah. course we do it in, in horrible ways. Like we're in the Roman army and we march and pillage, you know, but that's a baby soul expression um, we don't question, we do. As we age and we go into our mature soul life, who I'm sure most of your listeners would be mature souls or old souls, there is um, a time where you start to clear up your karma, particularly as a mature soul. And through the many lifetimes, through the soul age of being a mature soul, you clear your karma with others. And that requires you to clear your karma with yourself and love. But an old soul is really doing self-karma and that means that as an old soul, you've cleared up your karma with other people, but now you're trying to clear up the karma you have with yourself. And so it's really interesting that many times old souls will take lives where, um, for example, maybe a Down's syndrome child, Down syndrome child, very loving, peaceful, wonderful, and that Down's child is teaching themselves that the soul level at the soul age level that their value it doesn't matter what they contribute um to glamour and wealth all the things that a young soul might want but that what they contribute to kindness caring concern love or teaching others how to be kind is really the value in loving themselves so as you go into old soul you're less concerned with your uh, glamorous impact on the world and much more concerned with how you can forgive yourself, love yourself, no matter what you look like, no matter what your IQ is, you, you realize that you have value inside, deep inside, and you learn to love that. And then at that end of that, you've cleared all your karma with others, You've cleared all your karma with yourself. You've loved yourself. And then you transcend from the wheel of reincarnation. 
and become a transcendental soul. And then you you become what the Buddhists might call, you could become what the Buddhists might call a bodhisattva, which is the idea that you would take a vow to come back to incarnate as a human again, even though you weren't required to by your karma and help others to uh, in turn release themselves from the wheel of reincarnation and become transcendental souls themselves. So that is the idea of loving yourself and knowing yourself. And it happens through many lifetimes and it happens in the old soul age. And the, the transcendental soul stage, would that be what we call freedom? Um, yes, it would be compared to what we're living in now. I would say <laughs> right. yes. Yeah. Um, but also, I believe, my, my belief is that there are schools that we attend even in non-physical form. So when our consciousness does not need to take on a physical vessel or does not want to take on a physical vessel, there's still room for studying, work, growing, um, but it's not being done in this dimension. I have talked to somebody about the acceleration of that growth. Is that really real, Margaret? How much can we really speed up the process of growth? Well, I think, uh, I do not personally believe that there will be a mass ascension of all human souls uh, to transcendental soul state through some magic wand, you know. I think each soul is responsible for their own karma and their own growth and their own path. Mm -hmm. I do believe, though, that as you reach late stage maturity, Um, As you get to the point where you're able to really clear up the last pieces of karma with others and yourself, that right now there there is a lot of help being given to what I have deemed in one of my books called the graduating class. So I do think that there is a graduating class, but I think that it still means that each soul will have to do the work. There's no easy way around. If you've harmed someone, you got to clear that up. You've got to, and if you hate someone and you can't forgive them, you gotta, you've got to work through that. So, and I don't think there's a magic wand that we can wave, um, and nor do I think we'd want it because I think we learn our greatest lessons through those experiences and coming to forgiveness like Jesus was able to do for his perpetrators. So the idea of choice, choosing, it is real. Absolutely. I mean, I believe we do have, although not everyone has a plan upon incarnating, because what I've learned over 25 years of doing the uh, past life work is that some souls jump. In other words, they, they kind of just body hop. They go from one life to without much choice or selecting it doesn't work out well when you do that but i think more advanced souls do spend time between lives they do homework they look at and review and they look at what karma they need to clear up they choose the karmic uh, agreements that they're going to make in the next life 
But that doesn't mean once we get here, we live up to it. it, it it's a lot harder when you're in a human body. <laughs> True. And it's when, you, you know, when you're up there looking down thinking, oh, I can do that. That's easy peasy. Mm-hmm. But then you get down here in this density and it's not so easy peasy. But I, I think that um, I do think that there is some planning. I do think we do choose. Um, but I don't think everyone does all the time. And I think, again, some of that has to do with soul age. And some of that has to do uh, as to how someone dies um, and depending on the death. Um, because what I learned through my teacher, um, and, it, and it seems to be true because it's, it's been played out through many past life regressions I've done with people, is that your death drama in your past life is um, replayed in your birth drama in your current life. So if you want to know how you died in the last life, ask your mom about your birth drama in your current life. And if you had one that was particularly um, interesting to hear about, (laughs) you can know that it's in some way a repeat of your death drama in the last life. So yeah, um, it's, you know, there's that moment of death is a huge karmic moment and a lot of energy is laid down. And when the soul comes back in, it picks that energy back up, essentially, and on the way in, recreates it through the birth drama. I wonder why so many of us are afraid or hesitate to do past life regression. I'm one of them. Do you wonder why? I think it's because you you just don't, you don't trust yourself to be strong enough to look at the pain that you've suffered. I think you just, mm. you know, either you're a victim and or your perpetrator lives. I think you're keeping them at bay because some part of you is afraid of that piece or part of yourself. But you're going to find that it's never as bad. Uh, you know, it's like what they say, you know, you keep the monster in the closet and you spend mm. all this energy. <laughs> to the door closed, you let go of the door and you're like, oh my God, why did I spend all that energy? I, True. I feel so much better now that I let it, the monster out of the closet. True. The other thing I want to tell you is that when you do regression work, I have found your, your I got, I'm going to call it your higher consciousness or your yeah. unconscious will not allow you to access what you're not ready for. Mm, right, uh, I right. found that to be extremely true. Yeah. And even after doing all sorts of work with Roger, it wasn't until, you know, almost toward the end of my of my studies that I was able to begin to work with um, my life in the concentration camp of Dachau and my death there because I just wasn't ready to look at it. I wasn't ready to handle it. Uh, and I, I worked for years and years and years to release that that fear and karma and all the rest of it. So um, I think you have to trust yourself a little bit more, Valeria, and just yeah, yeah. know that you'll let it out exactly in the way and the time that that is perfect for your soul's advancement. And if you ask your guides and your higher self to assist you on that journey and be with you every step of the way, no matter what you go through, it's going to be exactly perfect for what you need to, to heal and to be made aware of so that you can feel better. Do you do um, online therapy? I do. I do phone 
past life regression on the phone, um, and and also Skype. So yeah, I I, I would be happy if you once you feel yeah. when and if you feel ready, just give give me a. Uh, phone call. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Email. That would be an interesting exploration. <laughs> so we're almost at the end of the interview. Talk to me for a moment about the inspiration to write your book, Merlin's Handbook for Seekers and Starseeds, A Guide to Awakening Your Divine Potential. Well, I think it came from my um, my clients. And as I began to work with people, and they started to tell me about these stories of being uh, Pleiadian or Arcturian and so forth. I started to to piece it all together and it awoke in me my inner knowledge of all of these different star systems and the beings that have inhabited them and the, the experiences I've had off planet. And um, I knew I needed to do the guide because I knew that um, the starseed community really needed help, that, they, that a lot of starseeds feel very lost, very misunderstood. And um, so I, I wanted to write something that I thought would help them as a handbook and to also begin to explore um, the starseed imprint. And I have to say something really quickly. My first um, experience with that was I was at a party many, many years ago, and there was a man there, and I just felt um, some very high spiritually angelic energy from him. So I didn't know him. I can't believe I did this, but I went right over to him and I said, excuse me, are you an angel? (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) And he said to me, and I swear to God, it's true, he said to me, no, I'm not an angel. I'm an Arcturian. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I don't know what an Arcturian is. I mean, I didn't know any of that. And he said, well, you should read the book, We the Arcturians. I think it's Norma Milanovic, I think is her name. I believe, I hope I got that right. And I picked up We the Arcturians and started reading it. And I have to say, that was probably my very first experience with that. And I would say that's going to be a good 17 years ago, maybe 18 years ago, a long time ago, right? And... um and he was so matter of fact, of course he was, because I was so matter of fact, <laughs> right. as, you know, this stranger, he was an angel. But, um, I just felt the frequency and I felt the vibration. And at the time, I didn't have the word Arcturian. The closest I had was angel. But now I might uh, be able to sense the Arcturian imprint um, now that I understand it more uh, versus the Pleiadian imprint or the Syrian or or uh, Andromeda and whatever, I can now, very often I can I can tell, and it's not that you have necessarily had only one uh, starseed imprint in you, but oftentimes there's one that's stronger than the others, we'll say. <laughs> yeah, so you're able to recognize. Yeah, now I will be. <laughs> Would you call that intuition, Margaret, this ability to sense? I, I think you can call it that. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's okay. If you knew you would lose the body soon, would you change anything or do anything in a different way? Well, I'll tell you something quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I've had a number of what I call exit points, and I've known that they're coming up. That means death points. And my first one was a car accident back in 1986. Um, I told people, I think I'm going to die tonight, but I don't think I'm going to die. I think I'm strong enough 
uh, I, I have something to learn, I said, and I'm strong enough to learn it. I'd had a, a dream that night, a precognitive dream about my death, and it was a car accident. It happened exactly the way my my dream was, um, it, and uh, I lived, but it was it was a bad car accident, but it was meant to be, and in hindsight, of course, I see that. But not long ago, I have to tell you, um, back a year ago in May, uh, my guide, uh, Merlin, came to me and said, um, you're going to die soon. And I said, Merlin, I can't do that to my husband right now. I will not go in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> and the chaos that's going right now. And he said, okay. And I knew I, I had to fly out to Florida. My sister's husband had just passed and she was grieving. So I flew to Florida to be with her. And I knew that my exit point would have been a, a car, uh, sorry, a plane crash uh, when I flew to Florida. Um, and I made it safely, obviously. And then that day, the same day, there had been a crash somewhere else where uh, 300 and I don't know, some people had died, all but two oh, had wow. died. And I felt that in a weird, mysterious way that that crash had been substituted for the crash I was supposed to be in. I, I, I can't explain it really right. beyond that. But right. I have had a number, a couple of conscious, uh, I've had another one beside that. And I did have third stage ovarian cancer, which in many ways was like a, a eight years ago, and I survived a uh, death point. So I've I've met those points. I feel that very clearly when, when it's time and I don't have any more choices, that maybe there'll be a final one, um, that I'll be ready to shed this physical body and move on. But um, yeah, I feel, you know, we all have exit points. I'm just more aware of them. I don't think it's anything, you know, so special about me. I do think that people have a few exit points who have planned their lives, not those that haven't, but those who plan their lives. You know, how many people do you know who said, wow, I felt like, you know, I was snatched from death or, you know, I could have died there. Yeah. I didn't, you know, people that die on the operating table and then come back. Yeah. I think those are all exit points. And, um, until the very final one, we are given chances to leave um, or to stay and perhaps um, deal with the next round of challenges. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's something I've faced. I don't know if I answered your question, but it's an interesting story anyway. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> to me, what's more fascinating is that understanding that it's just um, a choice that you can choose to stay or go. And um, it's like changing clothes. It's not really a big deal. I, th I think it. You're. I think you're kind of right. Um, I think it's it it it's a big deal for for younger souls, mm. and it could be a really yes. yeah. big deal in 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 traumatic situations. Mm, uh, true. True. But you know, I remember yeah. the story about the woman in Ireland who died and left behind. I think it was like thirteen children, and then this was uh, like People magazine did the big story about this woman. She reincarnated and. She remembered her her past life in Ireland, the fact she'd left her 13 children. Her soul was so propelled to come back and make sure her children were okay, that as an adult, she knew her past life name. She knew her past life house. Clearly, she knew her children. She looked up her children. 
that and she came and now she's younger than they are and she comes back and she introduces herself oh now. wow oh, my mother <laughs> and yeah. like, now I'm and now her kids are like 80 and she's right. or something. Yeah. and and she mm-hmm. was able to describe to them detailed things about the house they grew up in like pictures that had been on the walls and things that the children had had that there was no way of anyone else knowing and finally convinced these Irish Catholic children that she was the returned reincarnated (laughs) mother. So, uh, you know, there are so many stories like that, so many interesting stories. Very interesting. And what you said about... um, it is a big deal for young souls and also uh, traumatic death. Yeah. And guilt. I oh. think religion for so many people has put so much guilt and fear yeah. of hell yeah. in their brains that I think that's also an issue for a lot of people. You know, I oh, I did something I can't forgive myself for, or I didn't have the priest bless me at the time of my death. So does that mean I'm not going to be able to go to heaven? So I think Beliefs and consciousness definitely impact the experience post-death. You get initially what it seems is that because consciousness exists after the body dies, consciousness creates what it believes it's going to experience immediately. Um, And that's the first, you know, as you move through the astral realm, you're creating what you believe. If you think you're going to see your mother, you see a, a dead mother, if you think you're going to have horrible experiences, you have horrible ones. If you think you're going to see Jesus, you see Jesus. It's sort of like, you know, suddenly you're just pure consciousness in the fourth dimension. So you can create instantly what it is that you believe that you will experience. Yeah, what a, a great uh, insight. Yeah. Thank you, Margaret, for, I mean, everything that you're about, everything you say, your message, your purpose in this realm here. Um, thank you. Wow. And I'll talk to you for eternity, really. <laughs> I would be here forever. Yeah. Um, but I have one more question. What are three things about life or this reality you know for sure? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I know for sure that I deeply love my husband yeah. and that he and I have had many lifetimes together um, and that he is a soulmate in the best way, not just a karmic soulmate. I've had those, but um, a friend soulmate, uh, a being that we've gone through tough things together, but we support and love each other and see each other through uh, the tough times and the good times. And I know that um, is true in my heart um, very much. And I know that, um, I know that love is, um, a frequency and an energy that can dissolve karmic ties, darkness, unforgiveness, hatred. I know that pure, that pure love is just a frequency of a vibrational frequency that raises everything around it. And I know that I'm going to say something very odd, maybe, but I'm going to say it. I know that the energy that we call Christ or the Christed energy has nothing to do with religion 
and everything to do with love. Yeah. Um, yeah. The three things went just circled around love. Yeah. Love, love, love. Thank you so much again, Margaret, for your enlightening light presence. Uh, it has been a gift, uh, this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I, I really appreciate your reaching out to me and I enjoyed it so much, Valeria. So if you choose to, please feel free to stay in touch. I'd love to hear from oh, you. Yes, absolutely. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Um, at my website, which is just my name, Margaret, M-A-R-G-A-R-E-T, donor, D-O-N-E-R.com. Um, and some of my videos are there as well. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Margaret Dunner and her work, please visit margaretdunner.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.